What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined today by not one, but two very special guests, both of which are previous alumni of the show. I have uh, Justin from The Restorian and Nick from DC Vintage Watches. How's it going, guys? Great. Ah, It's a pleasure to have you both here. Obviously, both... uh, you know, titans of the watch space in your own regards and, and having your own, uh, you know, unique followings and unique uh, contributions that you make into this space. And it's so cool to be able to kind of chat uh, together, you know, all in one place. Obviously, there's some overlap between some of the content and the things that you guys uh, are passionate about, uh, namely being vintage Seikos, for example. Uh, so there's lots to talk about there. Obviously, you want to talk about some of the cool things you guys have been up to as well, uh, independently and respectively on your own kind of platforms as well. Uh, but really quickly, before we get into all that, what do you guys got on the wrist today? Go ahead, Justin. Sure, yeah. I got the uh, the Pelagos 39, uh, which I've had for a month, maybe a little less than a month. I'm, I'm a, you know, obviously a vintage, vintage guy pretty much through and through. But, uh, you know, a lot of people I trust recommended it. And all my other watches are packed away at the moment, which is why I'm not wearing a Seiko or, you know, something special like that. But this one's getting some wrist time and it's, uh, you know, a lot of people said it was a little too kind of vanilla of a watch. But, you know, there's this, that's what makes it great, too. You know, it's special in how sort of like not special it is. Mm-hmm. Like it just just does the job and it's fits great, great size. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great watch. So that's what I'm wearing. What sort of motivated that purchase for you over, you know, some of the other Pelago sizes or models that are out there? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was tough. So I really like the LHD mm-hmm. um, and I really like, well, in theory, I really like the FXD. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I tend to always wear a bracelet, like, mm-hmm. you know, for the, I, I wear very few watches on a strap. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of knocked out the FXD. Truth be told, I think I like the blue of the FXD better. I mean, if they made the Pelagos 39 in that color, it probably would have been that. Um, and LHD is sweet, but this, so this 39 is basically the same size as my Explorer, in my Explorer 2, the 16570. Mm-hmm. And I just find that to be a size I can kind of wear uh, all the time, you know? So to get something in titanium, a little bit more toolish that I know has the exact same dimensions, um, and sort of like modern, you know, quick adjust strap and, you know, or bracelet and all that. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, if I'm not feeling like wearing something vintage and being concerned about it, it's nice to have something that I know is like brand new, you yeah. know? That's awesome. It's a great piece. And obviously the Pelagos is always well loved and appreciated in any of its iterations on, uh, on Rico's watches here for sure. Okay. What about yourself, Nick? What do you got on the wrist today? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I should have talked to you beforehand, Justin. I could have worn my own because i i almost wore a uh it actually and i told the story i think in the last episode that we have with you the mo- the uh, unimatic modello uno mm-hmm. uh, i almost wore that today i almost did but anyway um yeah no it's uh what i'm wearing today i'm wearing a 19 i believe it's late 70s early 80s uh it's a, a hoyer pasadena it's their their ref uh 501.510 mm-hmm. so it's like this all black matte black pvd case you know and it has you know that very 70s uh pop of orange on like the chronograph hands so you know no no seiko uh today but uh yeah this this horror was was it, it was calling me so i wore it today very very cool and what is sort of can you talk a little bit about like that iteration of of hoyer and is it is it like a racing chronograph it's very typical of their other kind of models in that era or like what's sort of the history of that model specifically i could do a whole show literally on this so i'll i'll, I'll keep it brief but Good, it's actually Cole's notes. <laughs> on the Instagram account today, I actually posted a, 
Omega, what's this, uh, Seamaster F300 electronic, but like right before the show, I'm looking at it and I'm like, why is it an hour behind? And I realized it runs on a battery. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that got ditched in favor of the Hoyer. So anyway, so the, the you actually some people are calling this now the uh, the poor man's top gun because it's very similar in appearance to uh, Orfina's Porsche design mm. that uh, Tom Cruise wore in um, in both Top Gun movies. That's uh, the all black PVD, which actually that Orfina is popularly known as the first just all black watch ever. Like mm. it has that it's almost like a ceramic PVD coating. I don't know exactly the chemical composition, but it's it's very it's very hardy. Um, you know, material 50 years on, sometimes it wears. But, uh, you know, Hoyer at that time was really looking at, they, they were kind of desperate, like a lot of Swiss companies were at the time, because of the quartz crisis, which was, of course, brought on by Seiko with its Astron uh, in 1969. So they were kind of freaking out over that. And they were, but it, it, it was interesting because aside from the sheer terror that they felt, seeing that their profit margins steadily fall, um, they no longer held the title for the most uh, accurate watches in the world, Seiko's quartz did. But what it did do the Swiss is it made them be more adventuresome and kind of get out of their conservatism that they're so well known for and try new things. Like you remember, like Rolex just came out with like these, like, you know, the, just recently they came out with the the dial with the multicolors. And everyone was like, ah, I can't believe it. And Seiko's like, really? That's all you have? Like that's, you know, we have Gary or whatever that Italian designer is making watches for us. But but this was an example. So they, mm-hmm. they designed this watch um, and the, the name of the designer escapes me. Uh, but he he founded the Porsche Design Design Studio, and he was not a watchmaker. He worked with Orfina to make that. So Hoyer came along, and they they kind of copied a lot of it. There's a lot of interplay, a lot of interchange between the two between the two watches. Both actually use a Valju movement. Uh, oh, sorry, that's me. But the uh, the Orfina transitioned from the Valju to the uh, Lemania 5100 um, a couple years into the run. But yeah, again, uh, like I said, I could do a whole episode on that, and I, I don't want to bore your audience. So no, very it's very cool. Watch, watch. It's it's we just sold one actually. This is my own, but we just sold one, and it sold less than a day after I put it up. That's it awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a very cool, very unique piece with an interesting history behind it for sure. Yo, so much. That's it's actually one of the I'm batting uh, ideas back and forth with the with the guy that runs watches of espionage to do an article just on this. So it's interesting. You know, I've, been, I've been doing some preliminary research. It's stuck in my head right now. Yeah, well, it's, it's very interesting. Both of you guys obviously have been uh, contributors uh, to watches of espionage. So before we kind of get into some of, uh, you know, I know we're here to talk a little bit about like Mac B. Sog, Seikos and things like that. But where did uh, or what you talk a little bit about some of the collabs both of you have been able to do independently with uh, watches of espionage as of late. Justin, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I can start. Mine's probably a shorter uh resume with watches of espionage but no we just did one uh, that nick and i both contributed to that was sort of uh best i think right. it was best best watch under a thousand dollars and uh you know of course i immediately clarified to say like are we you know are we talking modern or vintage? you know if you open up anything pre-owned or vintage i i have a, a sort of a better wheelhouse there um and you can't get the pelagos 39 for under a thousand so uh yeah, so 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 I picked a Halios uh, C4 four, mm. uh, and I, my brother has a Halios. I've never owned one. Um, they are tough to get, kind of now. You know, like Halios has quite a following. Um, I've seen the C4. That I means a great watch. Uh, this was my first time riding with watches of espionage. He, I've talked to him for a while, 
Um, he did some work. I think, you know, Cole Pennington's worked with him quite a bit. I've worked with Cole and, you know, I can, of course, like Nick, and I've kind of worked with a lot of people who have worked with him. Uh, my issue is I just can't find, like, I can't pick a topic really. It's hard. I think espionage specifically feels like something that's not as in my wheelhouse. Cause I'm just a normal, like I'm not a spy or any, you know, I'm just like a regular guy. Um, or am I? I was so, going to say, that's what a spy yeah, would say, yeah, though. You know, wouldn't well, it? They're supposed to be operating in the background, right? Like exactly. Yeah. Up front. yeah I mean, <laughs> like a, but that was the funniest thing about this. So it was a great article. And there were a lot of really, there were people like me, normal people. And then there were people and, you know, like Navy divers, all these different people. Um, I, you know, in the Seaforth, I chose one Bahama yellow, which is like their, I think they took the color from like a Porsche, uh, so, some high end car. You know, it's like a bright yellow with black indices, black hands, super legible. Um, and they make that new Seaforth in titanium or steel, I think. And you can even uh, message the guy and the owner, uh, I think his name's Jason, and he'll make a Destro version for you. So it was like the Destro version, titanium, uh, awesome. with the Bahama yellow. I do think some of the comments, you know, I sort of had to read what people thought of the list. And there were a few that were like, you know, I don't really understand why you'd wear a bright yellow watch, you know, doing like night ops. You know, and I kind of wanted to come back and be like, hey, this is the guy who picked that watch. Just a regular guy, not too worried about being spotted. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it leans heavily into people with much more tactical uh, lives than mine. So mm -hmm. I don't know that that the bright yellow was uh, the most popular. But but Nick's was I, a great choice. You're, you're fine. But I mean, think about it. Like there was you're never, you're never going to make everyone happy. Like yeah. all you have to do is pull mm -hmm. any Houdini article and you see oh, yeah. it's Houdini especially. But. But I mean, really, what it comes down to is, you know, you can you can have a little leeway with with the topic. At least that's mm -hmm. that's that's what uh, the watches of espionage gentleman told me. And because everyone pulled modern watches, I'm like, can I do vintage? I can do modern, mm -hmm. but I'd rather do vintage. And he was like, yes, go go with it. And I was like, excellent. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So for mine, I picked the venerable SKX line because you don't even need to put Seiko in front of it. Everybody knows SKX. Mm -hmm. so that's that's like a give me. So I was like, all right, that's a little too easy. So I threw in like uh, the the lesser known uh, Seiko from the, it's actually late 60s. It's 7625-8233. Mm -hmm. And they also made a 7005 and a 6619 caliber with almost identical watches, but they're very large for the 60s. They're like 39 millimeters. The late mm -hmm. 60s, that's huge. So and it, it's, it's supposed to be a sport diver, but it could double as a dress watch. Put it on a leather strap. It, it's particularly in the picture that I posted, uh, with that article, it's right sandwiched in between two massive SKXs by comparison. You know, and it 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 looks positively spelt, if you will. Uh, but the uh, the another article I'm working on, I'm not going to get too much into. But uh, for him, I actually used that folder. The folder in the background is a folder that I borrowed from the White House Situation Room when I left. Just a folder, nothing sketchy. And on the front of it, it says "Morning Brief," and then it has you know the Presidential Coat of Arms and says "Classified," and that it's just a Manila folder. And it was the folder that we used to deliver the morning, noon, and uh, uh, evening brief to the president. So three times a day, he gets these briefings. Obviously, the folder changes from morning to noon to whatever on the front. Um, and I, I was like, you know, I'm, I left like it's been more than a decade now. And I'm like, oh, I got to get some mementos, but I don't want to get arrested for it. So I think right. I can take this folder. So I kept the folder. But yeah, so that's the background there. It's kind of a cool keepsake. Um, but yeah, sorry. I don't mean to prattle. 
No, that's incredible. That's very interesting. That sounds like you guys have had some really cool, uh, some really cool opportunities to contribute, uh, you know, to the larger watch space kind of through watches of espionage as well. And obviously some really interesting recommendations there. Um, you know, I think using that example of the yellow watch, I think that's, that's pretty cool to kind of show like a different perspective. I think like, you know, it was the brief wasn't that everybody that contributed to that list had to be some kind of you know tactical action hero right it's yeah, like there's, that's not what he called for he said best watches under a thousand he didn't exactly. say swatches to snipe someone with you know what exactly. i mean right yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and i was even thinking dive watch you know like i was specifically thinking dive watches i don't think he ever told me that i just but that's kind of like what i tend to go to anyways mm -hmm. but yeah but uh to nick's point about like hodinky comments i you know i, I wrote a couple for hodinky and one of them was like i think i was just pulling interesting dive watches like to highlight from i think it was for world oceans day or something but you know from different archives and i remember there were like three or four comments out of probably a bunch but you know that were like can't believe the blanc pond 50 fathoms isn't on here or it's like i can't believe jacques Cousteau is not on here because i was trying to highlight scientists people who have contributed to ocean science or you know navy divers things like that and it was just but you know at some point you get to the point where you're like do i need to tell people that jacques Cousteau wore that like you know some of them, at least for like people right. who are in watches, they seem like, yeah, do I have to tell everyone that this, you know, I'm trying to highlight things that are a little more, mm -hmm. you know, a little off the beaten path because people might learn something that they didn't learn before, you know? It's kind of hard. Like, you got to strike that balance between like essentially yeah. telling them something new and interesting, but not mm -hmm. something that's so far out there that they're not like a lot of that stuff too, like when it comes to like Hodinkee and things like that. I mean, like for like brand new releases and new information, like that's one thing, but a lot of those types of articles, it's like people want to read what they in their head know they want to read. And they just want to feel smart because they already knew the thing that they're reading. Right. Mm -hmm. So like yeah. if telling them things about like a, you know, a, a Doxa and Jacques Cousteau or whatever, it's like, Oh, I knew about that. I, you know, I can enjoy it. Cause I already knew that. Right. Like that's, kind of one of those weird things about that i think it's really interesting like spe specifically with your articles and your work and and that you've been you've been doing for a while now is like you really dig into like the really obscure um side of of, of time pieces you know a lot of seikos and things like that which we've talked mm -hmm. about on the show before and we'll talk about today as well but i think that's one of the really really interesting things and some of the really interesting stories that are able to be told especially because i think seiko is so relatable everyone who's anyone is either owned or knows someone who owned or has owned a Seiko, right? Like they're everywhere. Right. And it, it really, they've proliferated throughout the watch space, the military space, the adventure, the, 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 the exploratory space, whatever. Right. One of the things that we wanted to talk about today was that there'd been some new developments with some of the Mac Vsog Seikos, obviously, which I know both of you know quite a bit about and have talked about before. So um, Nick, Justin, either one of you or both of you, why don't you kind of take it away and talk about that a little bit? That sounds really interesting to me. So, yeah. So this is it's it's kind of a new thing actually, and, and because it's a new thing, there's going to be. Though I'm sure there'll be a, a fair bit of people who be like, oh, whatever, that's rubbish. But it's like it actually sometimes it's just. I mean, sometimes you just have people that make random comments to make them like, like real quick. Going back to what you just said, when when I did that four plus one Houdinki, you had these two guys going at it over whether the correct term is Mandarin or chinese like mm -hmm. it was on a, it was on a 6139 that had the i'm not even gonna wade into it i'm just gonna say <laughs> and say it was a language that's spoken in china and mm -hmm. like <laughs> on the on the day wheel and like they went back and forth like, i'm just like oh man but anyway um so but this is it's important to do original research with which justin is the king of 
and you know i do i do my own but i defer to justin obviously and a lot of this stuff because he, he does some really excellent research um and you know you find these little nuggets and then you bring them to light for the wider community for people to comment on sometimes it's nothing sometimes it starts some big thing but the, the thing that i'm referring to back and this is why i thought this was an interesting topic to cover was the um the Seiko 616-8100, the steel the steel gray dial. And a lot of these, these were sport divers. They came in a couple colors. They came in uh, like a white, kind of like stainless steel dial. They came with this, this steel gray dial, and they came with the blue that they call the chevron. And it has like these, you know, chevrons on the eye, on the hour markers. And I, I can't even say that, like, I found this. Like, someone literally hit me up and said, hey, have you seen this? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And I dug into it. It's really interesting. So I guess there's, Justin, you, maybe you've come across this uh, in your research. And and I, I haven't done a lot of research as far as like, is this a reputable organization? It seems to be on the on the face of it, on the research I've done, the Special Forces History Museum. Hmm. Have you heard uh, of this? I, no, no, I haven't actually. No. All right. So it, it has a website and basically... They had done some research and they found that there was a special forces soldier. His name was Michael O'Brien. And before he departed for, it looks like a 69 tour to Vietnam. And I should say, I should also add, he was Mac V. Sog. Uh, uh, CISO, the counterinsurgency support office that was run by uh, Ben Baker, issued him a May 68 Seiko 6106-8100. And it actually like, I, I don't know if this is a watch that they have possession of, but on their website, they had a, you know, like a picture of, of the, the officer, they had a picture of the watch as it was issued. It had that same Waltham WCC compass on it that you see with the other MACV, the, the ones that are that are better documented as being one of the MACV SOGs. And, you know, I, I found it convincing enough to say this is a MACV SOG. Um, but, you know, at the, but I also point out a lot of this, at least, so if, this, if we include this as one, then there's four. Two of those four are based on single thread reporting. So that's not, you know, you when you when you're when you're a historical researcher, Justin, you are like I clearly dork out on history. I have a degree in it. Granted, it's just a bachelor's, but you know, it's something that I love as well. You try to look for corroborating, you know, reporting on something and that people corroborating information, whatever, uh, from from different sources. So it's not just one person. You find it from a bunch of things, and you really you have that with the 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 best known MacV SOG, the six six one nine eighty sixty. And that's like uh, watch of espionage. I literally uh, talked with a MACV SOG officer that was talking about having this, um, and it's in uh, Frank Greco's running recon. Which after two years, I finally found a copy that was less than five hundred dollars because it's one of those like really limited press. You know, I think I got it for like I don't know one fifty or something like that. Um, and then you also have the seven thousand five eighty thirty, um, which is also in running recon. But it's also uh, Ben Baker talked about someone interviewed him. And he's like, here it is. And he's holding up a picture of it. And sure enough, there it is. But the other two are only in, in like single source reporting from what I've seen. And I, I just throw that out here. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, as a, both as a historian, but also someone that loves Venture Seiko. Um, yeah, I mean, so so the model you're talking about, is that like uh, you said it's like a sport diver. So it's got like a dive bezel, right? So is that like um, the gene? Is that the gene Kranz? Is that the, similar to that, or it, it is actually it's very okay. similar. I'm, I'm yeah. bringing it up. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. Keep talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that, that's what I'm picturing. I think I may actually know uh, if they're on Instagram who it is you're talking about because I think he also has some some uh, Antarctic oh. Seiko. So I've I've worked with him on ah, that. There you go. Oh, so of course yeah. you know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know him a little bit. He's got a more, a more impressive uh, Seiko collection than me by far, but he's also a scholar in his own right for sure. And, uh, you know, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where, like you said, I mean, I don't have a degree in history or anything, but I do, I do enjoy it. And I think I was talking to Cole Pennington at one point, but you know, you always want that sort of primary sort. Like if you can, talk, at least talk yeah, directly yeah. there. That's always yeah. sort of the gold standard. And of course, if you can get more than just that person, you know, multiple people, something like that. Issued watches, I think, are always difficult. I mean, if you if, you know, you have somebody saying, "I was given this watch because I was a part of MacBeesock or or the Navy or whatever it might be," that's pretty good. Um, you know, and then sometimes was able to do which. Massive mm -hmm. credit to that, that they were able to, and, and then of course, running recon is written by someone that right. was massive. Right, and and I think, I you know, I, I, I that's one thing I love about it is sometimes you'll just find a photo uh, if you're combing through archives, things like that, which I tend to do. Um, yeah. Sometimes, and I posted one. I think it was a couple weeks ago. I, I posted one of a special forces colonel or something wearing a silver wave. Um, you know, this oh, was I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And and I found that I think is in an old you know army you know sort of Vietnam era archive uh, and it was yeah and it was like clearly a silver wave and I used to always one of my one of my first vintage Seikos was a silver wave and yeah and you know a lot of times you just can't get that information and you wonder like hey they just happened to pick that up because it's a great choice for that era of Seiko you're kind of talking pre you know you're talking pre like real serious divers it was kind of one of their you know tougher models that could in theory withstand everything they were putting it through and. Um, yeah, you kind of wonder like, yeah, where they issued that? Was that just a, you know, because we know at this point how many sort of mysteries, especially with Seiko, are still out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it felt that way with the, you know, the MSST that I have finding out, oh, these were used for how long in Antarctica? And then MACV SOG's a great example. You know, there might be models that were issued that we don't even, I'm sure there were, you know, that we don't even know about. Um, and it's just getting that, that, that source. That's the hardest part. And so I mean, it definitely sense as a model to me you know i wouldn't be surprised at all if it was if it was right in there with the other mac v songs you know yeah. if we were to walk it back a little bit just for like the layman that you know was just kind of tuning into this episode maybe doesn't understand all the context of what we're talking about like what is the significance or the interest behind these mac v sog seikos what is the story there to begin with Justin, I, I, if you wanted to i can take it or you, I just, uh, you, you you might know a little bit more i mean in my sort of probably more limited knowledge. I, I mean, I think one one thing was just kind of anytime there's controversy in the watch uh, collector world, I think that sparks a lot of people to to give opinions and it does build into a little bit of, and I've been I've been around into Seiko long enough to to have witnessed some of it when Mac V Sogs first started appearing and it was like, no, you know, they have a very like- I remember that, yeah. yeah. Right, and, and Nick can probably say more about this, but you know, my understanding is that the, that sort of Arabic numeral, like, like super legible loomed numeral thing was something that really wasn't seen it, it much wasn't. at all. And it yeah. looks like they don't look special to anyone, really, if you don't have a certain level of knowledge. I bought my my only Mac V Saga I've owned uh, years ago, and it was on eBay, I think, for like 20 bucks. Um, and this was after people oh, identified as I days. No, before they identified it i missed those days but after that's you got lucky with that yeah it, it was after but i think it was still in the time where people were sort of like uh you know and it was also just lucky it was like buy it now you know it, it just because it doesn't it doesn't look super special they're not 
it's not like a 6105 or something where it's like this is a big rugged dive watch and i think that's like the appeal yeah. at least to me but to a lot of people is it you're, you're talking about people who who needed a watch that wasn't hyper flashy or big or over you know it wasn't any more than they needed they needed to sort of blend in they needed it to be legible and that's what they got um and yeah. so that's kind of my my take on it but i'm sure nick has <laughs> more didn't, to add didn't you, didn't you flag some watch for me on ebay a couple of weeks ago that someone got super cheaper by now was that Probably. You? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a seven C forty three. Seven five four eight, right? Seven five forty eight. Yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. someone sold it for they sold it for like twenty five bucks or something crazy. Yeah, like twenty five like bucks in the box, like in the box. Just oh yeah, I was so mad because it was one of those ones where it showed up like it was available, and I hit you know like buy it now, and then it was like psych, someone else. Someone got, got it, it in, in, in seconds. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. You know, because I I hit up the seller afterwards, and I was like, did this sell for twenty five? And, and they were like, yeah, and I was like. And they were like, yeah, I should have done my research first. I'm like, yeah, you should have done your research first. But anyway, okay. uh, but anyway, yeah. So no, with the, so if we go back on the history of it, so what you had was you had military, MACV SOG is Military Assistance Command Vietnam TAC Studies and Observation Group, which on, mm -hmm. on the face of it, the spell the acronym seems very innocuous, of course, because that's how DOD or any military does. But in reality, it was the special forces team. So it was like, I don't remember all the di different, but it was like just this potpourri mix of special forces. I think the agency was involved. And like, so, and, and from my understanding, what they were doing was, and, and your listeners, please chime in at some point. I'm sure they will. Um, what I understand they were doing was they were doing these long range reconnaissance patrols or LLRPs deep into countries we weren't supposed to be so you're talking cambodia laos etc and they were identifying logistics trails aka ho chi minh trail and they were flagging them for arc light strikes or b-52s so these you know these arc light strikes were these like just dozens i don't remember the, the top number but it was like multiple b-52 strata fortress bombers would come in with these just massive amounts of dumb bombs you know this is well before we had smart bombs and just obliterate but you're bombing the forest, you know, so it, it the, what it did was negligible. But at any rate, they were doing this. They were also going in. Uh, they were I don't know if they were removing leaders of the Viet Cong. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at any rate. So they had this thing called the counterinsurgency support office, which was run by Conrad, a.k.a. Conrad Ben uh, Baker. And he was basically ta uh, tasked with logistics for MACV SOG. And he picked these watches, like Justin talked about, which didn't stick out. You know, they were they weren't American made. They weren't the the Hamilton or the Ben Russ or or any of those watches that we that we know that DoD uh, would task uh, to make all these watches for the soldiers during that during that era. So they wouldn't immediately identify them as you know American personnel. I mean, I, obviously, you know, the 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 mix of soldiers were a bunch of different races. But they, if you're a white dude somewhere in laos cambodia doing sketchy shit i mean but you know at any rate uh it was it was it was less concerning than if you had the hamilton on the risk and it was automatically adding you as a u.s uh soldier so they were issued these and they used them i know that some of them were issued or used with the montiards the uh indigenous forces in northern vietnam these are the same forces that you saw in um apocalypse now uh that represented who colonel kurtz was working with uh, up in the, in the highlands of Vietnam during that time, uh, and they were they were issued to them as well to use during missions. Uh, so, you know, as and we can we can talk about this forever. Why these are popular now, 
I've definitely seen market-wise a big uptick uh, in interest in these. Actually, recently we sold one, and this was this was uh, I was connected to Jack Carr by Watch of Espionage because he was talking to him. And he's like, "Hey, I want one of these watches." He's like, "Talk to Nick. He'll he'll find one for you." And it was a six six one nine eighty sixty, and he just got it, uh, and I think in the last two weeks, um, he did a, a, a post on already. But you know, separate from that, I, there's just a big uptick in. And military watches, uh, they've always been popular, but I think now, I don't know if it has to do with, you know, kind of these uncertain times we find ourselves in or, or what, but there, there's definitely an interest in these things. So is this is this a model that was commercially available or one that was exclusively yeah. made for this purpose? So the, so you can find other versions of this watch. Oh, yeah. It's just the corroboration of, of determining like that it was actually used by this unit per se. Uh, early early on in the Mac, when when Mackie Sog soldiers were using it, early on before they got all the logistics squared away, they were the soldiers were told basically, hey, go out and buy one on the on the open economy, mm -hmm. the, the military PX or store or whatever, because it's they weren't made you know magically better for the military. It was the same. Mm -hmm. So later on, Ben Baker, from my understanding, would buy them kind of. I mean, I use the term bulk, but not. We're talking maybe a couple hundred because it's there weren't many people associated with Mackie Sog. And they would, and then he would issue them out to the to the soldiers. You know, I am taking down a serial number and all that fun stuff. And it would be part of their military kit they were issued when they when they started their tour. So yeah, they were just off the show. How many of these are known to be in existence now? You'd have to do. You would have to look at the because much like Omega, but far more accurate. Seiko has an amazing serial system that they have on all their watches, and it's the first two serials are the month and then the no the year and then the month. That the watch was made and then the rest are the serial numbers like how many were made so you, if you had a couple hours or days you could go on the internet and you could just look at all the pictures you find of this and mm -hmm. look at the serials i i would guess probably a couple thousand all, all told at least mm -hmm. but the problem was is that you know these came out in the late 60s so we're talking over a decade and these weren't rolex i mean a lot of you get i get some people that reach out to us and they're like i want to get this seiko can you get a box and papers? And I have to be, I no, because for the most part, no one was saving those. I mean, this is a watch when it was new cost maybe 20 bucks at most. So, you know, people treated them as disposable kind of like how you treat you know, the Apple watch today, I would say, or Timex or something of that nature. It's not something that was a safe queen. So they beat the crap out of them and threw them away, you know? So for, for both of you guys, like when you're doing your, your scholarly type, historical work of researching researching pieces like this or other uh you know stories that you've researched in the past and things like that you know i think back to again like your antarctic articles that you've written about uh justin like you mentioned things like corroboration primary sources things like that how do you find you're able to sort of put the whole story together as it were i guess like in that sense like if you're only hearing the story from one person or your, you know, there's limited corroborating information because maybe, for example, like with an Antarctic expedition, there's maybe like you know twenty dudes there or something like that, and half of them are probably already no longer with us. Um, you know, where do you sort of start to put two and two together and be able to tell a whole story? And how do you navigate through some of the other, um, you know, things that come up in the community, for example, where like you you have to sort of verify if something is real information or not, like. I think back to certain things like whether it's around Doxa or Rolex or even the Moonwatch and some of the bigger, uh, well-known pieces that are out there. And like so much of the lore and the story that's out there has just sort of been like community generated and have sort of just become like the, 
the agreed upon facts, whether or not they're true or not. Um, so how do you kind of go about doing that when you're writing an article or researching a topic? Either one of you, but I'm Justin specifically you know, I, to start I, off. I was literally just trying to find my uh, Soldier of Fortune Mac V Sog <laughs> issue that took me a couple months to track down. Justin, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so 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 yeah, the, the the Antarctic thing, which I feel like I've talked about on like every podcast. You know, that that's in the Mac V Sog case, it's it's much more challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, just the nature of the work that they did. Um, it's also you know, it's it's a sort of a an innocuous watch the 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 msst so the one the turtle the 6306 that was used in antarctica you know it's there wasn't a lot of information on it when i got mine um but if you made the connection to that study you know a great and i've said it before but a great thing about um a, a research program like that is you just like you said you just have a list of like 20 people and their names and their responsibility and what university they came from um, where they live, you know, you have basically all the information you need in a published journal with results from the work that they were doing. So in that case, you know, a, a lot of times when I'm looking for thing, ideas for things to write about, especially if it's like a deep dive on a certain model or or something like that, you know, I, I wish I had a better answer, but I typically kind of just go where it takes me. I don't really have, I mean, I do seek out uh, information, obviously, but if it's one guy with just an amazing story about uh, run-of-the-mill Seiko turtle he wore in the Navy, that may be enough for me to write a compelling article about it. And it's just one example of a model that was all over the place. The Antarctica one, my my model specifically was 1979 to 80. And then, of course, there, were, there was also 78 to 79 just before that. So there were kind of two parts to that uh, trial or that program, that research program. So that's kind of a sweet spot in terms of you can still find people. A lot of these were young, like graduate students, um, the people who received that actual watch, typically those were more like professor level, but some of them are around because I talked to them. So that's kind of a, when you get into Vietnam era and some of that, yeah, it's tough to find people who can really like corroborate, especially if you're looking for multiple people. Um, so late 80s or, you know, late 70s, early 80s, you know, there's still people around who can answer it. And so you find one guy who's like, oh yeah, I received that watch. And then he's like, I have a friend. It's how it goes with me, at least with my experience a lot. Like, oh, I have a buddy who was also in this. Let me reach out to him or give you his email. And a lot of times if you get in pretty good with them, um, in which typically, at least in the academic side, like for that study, they love that anyone's even interested in it because the it's not, you know, it's not a Mac VSOG. You know, it wasn't people, um, you know, it, crawling through a jungle or infiltrating. So, you know, this was people drilling ice in antarctica you know it's it's uh you know it's almost like construction work it just so happens there in antarctica i mean it's very cool to me but like if you break down what msst was or if you read the journal it's kind of boring it's boring for me except i know this seiko was a part of it and that makes it kind of compelling because i have an interest in 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 seiko but at the end of the day yeah they were just drilling really deep holes and getting ice samples the it's, science is interesting but it's not romantic really you know i guess like for either one of you though like with the work that you've done and obviously like both of you very quickly have sort of become i guess like community sources that are very well regarded and respected for the research that you do so like where have, have there, has there been times where you guys have had to challenge 
um, agreed upon maybe misconceptions that the community has on a piece or the history of a piece or something like that. And you've really had to dig in and, and find information to kind of show to the contrary of what people think is true, something else actually happened. And, and what would be an example of when that has happened, if it has happened for you? I mean, I think I'm doing that right now with this Mac B song. Okay. And it, yeah. I, 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 you know, it, it's, I don't have a big enough platform really to like get a lot of commentary on it yet, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about it when I can, cause you know, welcome missing pieces. I mean, that's what, that's what all this is. This is about what history is about. This is about people that, that research history, you know, they, they publish their findings in journals. Obviously I'm not doing that, but something along those lines. And you, you try to source your stuff as best as possible when you, you make your assertions. Um, yeah. I mean that Justin, I defer to you. Yeah. I mean, I, luckily I've not really been, um, <laughs> I'm not challenged, but like, I've never had a situation really where, I mean, Give I've time. had a time. <laughs> yeah, eventually I probably will. I just, I'll leave that to the people like Nick to say like, look, this is a discovery. Um, but you know, but there are there like like I said, there are discoveries out there, and some of them just need to be brought to light. There and there's some that people know about. I mean, there's another uh, Antarctic Seiko model. So so basically, I researched mine. Then I talked to some people, did a little more research, and there was an earlier 6105 for a previous drilling program, right? And that went for about like two or three years. So there's probably a few more of those than there are of my model. But if, but we're still talking like 20, 30. You know, the, we're still talking extremely small amounts of those watches. But my Hodinkee article that Cole Pennington wrote, I had somebody else contact me who has an even later model, um, uh, seven, uh, 70, 7C43. Or, is that the, that's the quartz one, right? The quartz diver? Mm -hmm. 7C, yeah. So he has one from a later Antarctic program. And that's the only one I've ever seen. I've never heard of another one. Um, and that came from my, like from, well, from not my article, Cole's article. But he read it. He thought it was for a, um, he thought it was for like a coffee company or something because of the wording on the dial. And then he read mine and saw that that article and saw that it had the exact same font as mine and the same format, the program, and then the year. And so he reached out to me and I sort of talked to him and and yeah, he's got the only one. We've we've not ever seen another one. And it's you know, and it's like I don't know how easily I could prove that, but it's sort of corroborated by the fact that there were previous Antarctic programs with that same font that, you know, was printed by Seiko, same format, you know, it just in it. And there was somebody in the Japan Antarctic research program who clearly that was like a thing he did. He made a trend of it. And unfortunately he's not around and hasn't been for a while because he would really be the ideal source to, uh, to have t spoken with, but we can talk to people who talk to him. So yeah, I, I, I have yet to be challenged too much, but, uh, um, actually, one time I I, I sort of challenged uh, one of my contacts. So I, that article I mentioned for Hodinkee, uh, I included uh, a woman from Tektite 2. And Tektite 2 is kind of famous for uh, the first all-female Aquanaut crew. And I, I, I spotted a photo, um, one where she wears a 6105, uh, 8000, I think, the sort of tonneau cased, not, you know, not the Willard. And I, I actually was able to contact her. And in another photo, I swear she's wearing a 6159, which is like, a, you know, it's a different sort of yeah. uh, Seiko diver, but it's it's a, it's a cool one. And one I don't really see in archives yeah. and images. So I asked her about it and she was sort of like, no, that's not what that is. 
it's this. And, you know, and like, I can tell in the image, I'll have to send it to you, Nick, because I bet you can weigh in on it. But I'm yeah, like, but no, I'm does. pretty sure. Yeah, I'm like, because I you remember- You don't see so them often at all. Like in uh -uh. these, these times, in this area, you don't really see those. We've sourced some of them and they've been a pain in the ass to source good examples of. Uh, yeah, and it, it was funny. So I was almost arguing with the, per you know, the person who was there to say like, well, I'm looking at this photo and this is like, it's not the 6105 you're saying it is. Um, although I saw that in a different photo, so she clearly had one. But uh, that's kind of funny because they were given um, Rolexes. So in Tektite 1, which is a, a diving program where they lived under the ocean, you know, in a habitat, uh, the Aquanauts were given Rolexes. They were given like uh, sea dwellers or submariners. And I've talked to a few of them. Tektite 2 rolls around and the first female uh, Aquanaut group is there and Rolex gave them all uh, women's datejusts to wear, you know, which kind of shows... Uh, the time, you know, they called them things like, uh, instead of aquanauts, they called them things like aqua babes and stuff like that. You know, it was very much like, yeah, it's a little sad now, but that's kind of like, it's it's how the times were. So it's funny. So all of the, I've talked to a few of the aquanauts from that program, Sylvia Earle, who's pretty famous. I didn't get to talk to her because she's too famous for me, but she's the probably the most well-known. Um, but so they would wear the Rolex Datejust, which obviously has no tiny, has no bezel, you know, it's not useful for diving really in any way. And then they would wear a Seiko on the other wrist to actually like do the work, you know? So sometimes you can kind of see photos of them with like a dainty little women's watch on one wrist that they were obligated to wear. And then, uh, yeah, Seiko diver, like a 6105 on the other, which is a sounds pretty like, great. Uh, sounds like Colonel Pogue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Hmm. I'm going to get all this Omega Speedmaster hate mail now. <laughs> well, it's very oh, interesting. Yes, but I mean, you do have, and this is, I, I I, I can't believe that this is a new thing, but like watchmakers for the longest, like established watch brands for the longest time have made these limited run team ups. I mean, literally you have rowing blazers just recently doing tons, even one with Tudor, mm -hmm. um, which only went to like, cause I talked to a couple people that had them and it only went to like people that like their names are on the case back. I know for a fact, actually Tudor, and I, I don't know that people know this Tudor's making one with Amazon. And I have a good friend that works at Amazon who told me about this because I was like, oh, really? And he was like, no, I'm not going to get you one. I was like, oh, but, uh, you know, like re re just recently, you know, I don't I don't normally buy a lot of new watches. But Yema did this, which is, of course, Le Jour. Uh, Yema, French French uh, company Yema did this team up with Marine National. I don't know French, so forgive me. Marine Nation National, I guess they're, they're Navy. Mm -hmm. And it's this like I'm looking at it right now. It's got navy graph, and it's like this dark blue dial with yellow GMT and seconds hand. And gorgeous. They only made 300 of them. And as soon as I saw that, I fell in love with it. I was like, okay, yes, buying this. You know, so it's something that they officially teamed up with the French Navy to make. You know, so who knows? I mean, there's, there's, I, it could be something that they just reached out to Seiko and said, hey, can you do this for us? Or maybe they had someone, a third party do it for some reason. I, I, don't, I don't know. I defer to you on that, but I know in my research, so for instance, the Japanese National Railway, which they're no longer referred to that. They're, they're called something else. I don't remember what it is, but so JNR, they worked with Seiko and they had, and was actually, they worked with Seiko and Citizen. So the first thing they did, Homer's second settings, which is like this white, it's almost like a porcelain dial. Looks looks amazing. It's very simplistic dial. It has the the Arabic numerals on it. And on the back, it has this, you know, kanji Japanese inscription that says issue. This is the number, you know, the 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 um the Japanese year. And this is how many we issued that year, whatever. 
And, you know, so you can date it like that. But and then Seiko came with their, their it was a Lordmatic 5606-7000 gold. And they made that specifically special for the JNR. I don't think they sold them elsewhere with the same configuration on the back. There's no serial number. I've seen very few Seikos with no serial number. All it has, it has the Japanese kanji inscription. It's like it's like an efficiency award or something like that with my crappy Google Translate, you know, translation uh, that JNR gave out. So is this a solid gold? Is it solid gold? I don't think it is. Oh, okay. Um, I had a solid well, actually, gold. Actually, I know it's not because the okay. examples that we've sourced, obviously, we want to make sure the gold is all in place. Mm. But I actually, I have seen examples where on the back, and you get this with a lot of gold-plated watches, the back of the case, which touches the the wearer's wrist, the sweat breaks down the gold plate all the time. And yeah. seen a lot of them with the the backs all messed up, like the gold is just worn off. So yeah. it wasn't solely gold; it was plated. Yeah, I only asked because I had a my brother has it now, um, but I had a Seiko DX okay. that was solid gold, solid fourteen karat gold, and it didn't have a serial number except on the inside of the case bag. Interesting. Um, now yeah, early. So Early Seiko had the had the like we're talking early sixties had the serial number on the inside of the case back, mm -hmm. but after maybe sixty five sixty six I think maybe a little earlier they were on the case back itself. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I don't think DX was made in the sixties, uh, like early sixties. I, I could be wrong on that. No, I think it's a little later, and I think DX was kind of like the, it was a weird one. I have a catalog from when they made a solid gold Seiko DX. Line. It was their economical yeah, it's their line. economical line, but I think it was one of the most expensive in the catalog that I found. You know, just because probably because oh, it's just gold. Made yeah, of course. Yeah. But and it was, I think it was labeled in in this is you know a JD a Japanese catalog, but it was when you translate it, it was something like uh, it was marketed basically as a presentation watch. So that's why they didn't put it on the case back. It was like meant to be engraved as a you know a retirement gift or something like that. Yeah. So just, yeah. Lots yeah. of rabbit holes. Vintage Seiko. So, so with, with regards to vintage Seiko or just vintage in general, like and specifically Nick, with regards to you being a dealer, like how is your like market observations of the things going on out there maybe impacted some of the topics that you research or some of the uh, articles that you write? And then on the flip side of that, for either one of you, have has anybody have either of you uh, impacted the market itself with the articles or the work that you've done? Yeah, I mean, I I think. Uh... The early work that I did research on the, the Bruce Lee with the 6139, mm -hmm. I think, and, and I wasn't paying attention to this per se, but I have a good friend of mine that's still in Department of State, and uh, he's overseas at the time, and he was, because he's like rapidly into watches, mm -hmm. and he was like, you know, you affected the market on this, and I was like, I, I'm just trying to, you know, make a living, I didn't even notice, and, and sure enough, and I think it was that GQ, when GQ picked up the trail on that, because uh, yeah. the guy who wrote the article was actually someone who had purchased the watch, uh, purchased one of them from me, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so so there's that. Um, but separate from that, like I again, I have seen that, and I'm gonna as a as a dealer, I'm gonna follow the trends as far as what people are interested in, uh, obviously. And I do see that uptick in, in interest in military. Now, it uh, there's always gonna be a military provenance, but even a watch that is military esque. Like the, I mean, although some Hoyer Pasadena's were issued, I think to, I want to say South African military and mm -hmm. like some other, mm -hmm. like uh, they have some of them actually have literally says military on the dial. Um, but uh, no, there is definitely an uptick in interest in like black PVD watches, um, military esque watches. There, there's, there's, and SKX as well, actually, now that I meant, now that I, I mentioned that, uh, whatever, look, I, 
Seiko made their decision for reasons that obviously I have no insight into. I think they're trying to appeal to a younger audience with their Seiko 5 line, the new one. I'm not a fan of it. I like the all black PVD one they put out, but the the the, the, the crown doesn't screw down. Like it's just there's the movement is not great. But the the old SKXs are they I've seen them people are we sell them. I'll put it up and it'll last a couple of days and it'll sell like that because there's that much demand for the old ones that they discontinued in 2019. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so like, what would you, either one of you say is sort of like the unexplored frontier of, uh, you know, interesting watches, interesting issued watches, whether it was, you know, to military explorers, adventurers, whatever. Like one that I see coming up a lot is there seems to be a lot of interesting articles starting to pop up of watches that were um, bought and used in Africa, different different militaries in Africa, whether it was like, um, I think it was uh, uh, Jose over at Periscope just dropped uh, an article not too long ago about like the first confirmed um, factory blackened Rolex Submariner that came out of Rolex and that was issued to um, some African unit. You know, what about for you guys? Like you you mentioned, you know, South Africa as well there as well too, but like has either of you come across any interesting sort of undiscovered frontiers for watches that are sort of out I'll just there? say one real quick and then I'll turn it over to Justin because I don't want to monopolize his time. But like we came across a Tissot PR516 and it, it's actually on the site now uh, that was issued to the Pakistani Air Force. Mm. It's like PATH on the back and it has, if memory serves, it actually has that British broad arrow because of course Pakistan is a former colony of, of, of uh, the UK. Um, so there you, I mean, I never heard of that. And like, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, doing my research and stuff like that. I was like there, and you know, the dark corners of the internet, I was finding some reporting on it, but it was, it was very sparse. It was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Justin, I'll turn over to you. Yeah. So, so, you know, I've done more military stuff. I would say recently I'm trying to kind of, I've done a lot of short form, like once a week, I'll post some, you know, a vintage sort of watch spot on my um, Instagram and people do tend to, you know, like military more than I like, you know, science and exploration and all this stuff. People like military, I think, more in general. I think that's a trend right now. Um, yeah, South Africa has has some really interesting models. They've got some Lamanias. They've got uh, Seikos. They've, you know, I think seven, eight, what, maybe 28, 38 and 48. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting chronographs that I think that's sort of an under a little bit of an underappreciated model just in general, not just. Uh, military but 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 otherwise um and the only other one that comes to mind that i'm i sort of i'm sometimes surprised i don't see more um and nick will probably be able to tell you the reference unfortunately i don't know it off the top of my head but the uh japan air self-defense force had a 60 i think it's 6139 is that right uh 7010 yeah and with the and you're going to see a trend here with the arabic numerals on the dial and that the nickname that is the military for that reason yeah and i i i a while back, but I have a couple of photos, I think probably three or four, uh, that, that show JASDF, you know, personnel wearing that exact model. And I have a, a, a few friends, there were some, I want to say there was a group of like three of them in a lot that sold on Yahoo Japan a couple of years ago. And I had a, a, I had the guys on Instagram and I sort of talked to him a little bit. So I've run across maybe four or five of those. They've got a really great, uh, you know, case back engraving, uh, which I'm a little bit sucker for. Um, and I think there's also Navy versions. I don't know if they're of that exact model, but there's. Uh, I've heard that. You know, yeah, one has an anchor, the cherry blossoms, I think. Um, yep. So, yeah. So and some of those, you know, I'm sometimes surprised haven't 
haven't caught on and in, in the same way, like the Mac V SOG has, has really, you know, obviously we've kind of talked about that at this point, but that's really sort of become popular. Venris is another one, uh, the Venris type one and type two. Uh, I don't watch, I watch all markets a little bit, but you know, nothing specific, but Venris is one that I think with the re sort of reintroduction of it and uh, MK2 or, you know, some, some of these brands that have a variation of it, Venris has really sort of been climbing lately too. And, and uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a great military watch. I think people love that kind of sterile dial that, you know, just yeah. simple and effective. And that's something you see with Venris with the Mac V SOG, even with those old Hamiltons, uh, even the LL Bean versions of the Hamiltons, you know, mm -hmm. it just, you just see that trend where people appreciate uh, a, a simple sort of effective tool like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, have you seen? And I'm I'm looking it up right now as we as we speak. But have you seen the? Uh, and it, in this, we talk about single source Intel and stuff like that when we're when we're looking at stuff. I'm here. Let me hold on. So let me find it up real quick. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, because we sold one not too long ago. Uh, my website's working. So anyway, it was a, it was issue. The research was done by an auction house. So I'm always a little mm -hmm. not dubious. It depends on the auction house. Some auction houses mm -hmm. can't never sell Seiko because I don't, I don't, I'm not going to name who the auction house was, but it, you and I, Justin, I know we talked about it, but it oh, was yeah. like a year ago. And like they were like, oh, this this new collection vintage Seiko, and it was like three quarters of them were Faco. It, they yeah. weren't even good Faco, they were terrible Faco, but I digress. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find this damn watch on, on my website because we sold one not long ago. Oh, okay, here it is. And it was the, the Ben Ross DTU dash. 2A forward slash P. And the, the name of the auction house, I'm trying to find it already. Oh, so it was Phillips. And it was a lot that it was two Benros watches. And one of the Benros watches is the one I just said. Allegedly, the the daughter of the of the deceased service member who had passed away uh flew all these missions for the agency. And he wore this and it was issued. He said he he told his daughter it was issued by the agency for him to wear during these missions, you know, working again with like the government in Laos and like all these places, you know, the U S government was not supposed to be. Um, that's the only thing I've seen that links the agency to this watch. But again, it's just another really interesting and fascinating data point on already a, a badass watch. In my opinion, I have one of these. I love this watch. Oh yeah. What would you guys say is, um, you know, just market in general doesn't necessarily have to be a military associated piece, but um that uh you know is sort of underappreciated or undervalued right now but is a tremendous a tremendous timepiece that maybe people should be looking at just in your own wheelhouses of timepieces that you enjoy um yeah no i, I can take some so so uh, since the last time i was on here I, i've picked up a few watches uh one and i think this kind of falls into some of what nick has been talking about with his hoyer um, but I picked up an IWC Porsche design uh, uh, compass or so one of the early, you know, well, late 70s, but one of their earlier models for Porsche design IWC. Um, but uh, older, early PVD kind of coded uh, models in general, um, I think I think they're catching on for sure. I don't know that they're, I think they're going to continue to climb. You know, I, 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 they're not done. I think people will continue. They'll, you'll see the prices continue to go up, especially um, some of my favorites. Nick can probably speak to uh, to Hoyer a little bit better than me, but um, I know that Hoyer and Porsche Design, because of the similarities that Nick mentioned earlier, most likely, but they both uh, did a little bit of experimentation, not just with like black PVD, but 
I think I know Hoyer, you can see like a gray PVD, a computer, and then green, which yep. by far is my favorite. Green PVD. Um, yeah, the, the, the Compass Ore came in green as well with kind of a brown dial. Mine's black, um, which which is great. But like the green and the, the green Hoyers as well uh, are phenomenal. I mean, I think those are one that they're definitely pricey even now, but I think we're going to continue to see those uh, climb, especially yep. the ones in good condition. But honestly, they look great even when they're not. Like the ones that were used that kind of have little nicks in the PVD and stuff like that, like they just look great the more they age. But uh, yeah, that's a trend I kind of hope comes back in modern watches on some level too. Just uh, get a little more creative with with uh, PVD or with you know with some something similar like DLC coatings, whatever. But uh, yeah, that's one thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch for sure. Mm. Yeah, the uh, the these were um, actually the watch. You know, throughout Hoyer's history, they've always been uh, Jack Hoyer was a, a master salesman, but. That company was always on the brink of bankruptcy. I swear to God, I mean, it, it, until they were bought out by Tag in '83. But so you know, he they kind of saved them at the time. But they worked with Monin in France to make mm -hmm. this watch, and then they moved it. And like the early ones will say, "Made in France" at the bottom. And how often do you see a Hoyer that says that? Um, but these were quartz. They were the well, they were quartz and automatic. I have one of each. The, the 980.006 Jumbo, as they call them, and they were large. They were about 42 millimeters which even for the eighties was, was pretty big. And, but they came in this, like, and I, I've been lucky enough to, I think I have one of every one now, cause this has been on my list. And I started collecting these 15 years ago when they were like, could be had for a few hundred dollars. And that is not the case now, but like, so they came in, like there's a, a, a pewter case and they're like, who, what, who makes cases out of pewter? I mean, that's like, it's like so random, but it, it looks amazing. It works. There was a pewter case one that had a black dial and it had like a fully luminescent all loom dial, obviously geared towards diving. Um, I have one of those. And then there was the, uh, the, the, it's like an all, it's like a, um, a green, like OD PVD covering. And this is the bracelet. This is the watch. It's everything. And then there's uh, I picked this up recently actually. And it's the, the stainless steel case, but it has the orange dial. And it's just like, I love them, man. They're amazing. But like I've seen that as well. Like there's there's definitely an uptick in interest for these. Um, again, like ten years ago, even five years ago, they could be had for far cheaper than they are now. Um, mm. It's kind of unfortunate, but it, I mean, it's it's the trend, you know. Um, as far as like what I see right now, like I always say this, and I continue to say it: those automatics that Seiko made in the late '60s through the '70s, the seven thousand five caliber, the six six one nine, the less seen, but the seven six two five can be found for dirt cheap and some of the some of the dials in the case sizes they range from like you know 36 millimeters to like 40 they're very compelling they're amazing and some of them are like deep blue dials which seiko does so well that steel gray dial that just like you i swear like even actually i literally have one in front of me right now like this like this like this emerald green kind of like mm -hmm. this is I'm, I'm writing this for sale but it's like this was issued um special dial made just for Seiko, but it was issued to uh this uh this magazine or this um newspaper in Japan called Yamori. And it was, and it was like a hundred years for their hundred year anniversary, which was in 1974. You know, so the dials, it's amazing value to be had on these. Like and you're talking like a couple hundred bucks for some of these. You can't beat that for an automatic. Mm. very cool very very interesting suggestions and obviously anyone listening this is the the expert insight into the market so 
make sure you uh, pay attention to some of these pieces and make some moves on them while you still can. Um, you know, what do you guys have going on individually with regards to your platforms that people have to look forward to uh, coming up? You know, uh, Justin, for example, like any interesting articles you can give us some insight into that you have coming up in the near future? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's one, I mean, I, I've, uh, like I said, I've been doing a lot of just mining the archives and kind of having something to post each week on, on my Instagram. I've, I've tried sort of a test scenario where I, I try to focus on like one brand. Uh, mm-hmm. so like did a run of just like all sort of the vintage aqua stars I was spotting, um, which, which was, which was fun. And, and I kind of enjoyed that. I've posted, I think Benris a few times. Um, so, so I'm kind of trying to keep up with that in terms of like deeper, sort of deeper dive stories. Um, so, so, uh, Getty Images, who I don't really post much because I don't know a lot about like their permissions and, and you know, I don't want to make anybody upset, but uh, they have so many great resources. My my twin brother, Devin, who does, he's also helping sort of mine these photos out. He found one of, uh, you were talking about like, what are areas where people maybe haven't looked for interesting watches? He actually found one of a, a hot, a professional hot air balloon, like racer. They have like competitions to see who can get there in hot air balloons this was back in the 70s mm. and he we, we both recognized the watch he was wearing it was a certina chrono olympic chronograph which is a pretty obscure model um sort of a, it's actually like a regatta timer um but he was wearing it posing uh, oh <laughs> yeah so he was he was posing in front of a hot air balloon in australia or something in in, in the 70s well we were able to sort of track him down and it and he turns it turns out he still had that just sitting in a drawer and he was like he he and, so, and he had worn it and so we have kind of a story in the works where and my brother's actually writing it, which is kind of his first. So I'm excited for people to read it because I think it's going to be great. So he actually was was able to like get the whole story of he bought this watch in Switzerland. He needed something reliable for his competition in the early 80s. You know, he had mm-hmm. bought it. He had bought it, I think, in the in the early 80s or late 70s. And and the regatta timer sort of function. Uh, so it was like a, a center seconds chronograph. And it worked great for him timing what he needed uh, in, in the uh, hot air balloon. And it's just, uh, you know, so I'm working on that and uh, it won't get, I mean, I, I know for a fact it won't get as much traction as anything military or any of that. But, uh, you know, I just like pointing out things that a lot of times I'm just supporting what other sort of scholars find. You know, that's why I get excited if I find like, uh, yeah, if I find a Mac B. Sog and I go, look, it's just one more little, even though we can't talk to the person, it just sort of supports like, hey, here's, you know, here's something that that supports what other people have researched. Uh, and so I hope to keep, to keep, uh, posting stuff like that. But yeah, in terms of stories, I have a few other things in the works that I can't uh, sort of can't disclose, unfortunately. And I hope I have a project with Nick and sort of watches of espionage coming up too. We got, we have a few ideas we're kicking around that, that I think will be fun too. That's awesome. I mean, what you're doing, even if he doesn't get the clicks, like you love it, right? Yeah, exactly. That's honestly, that's all that matters. I mean, it's easy. I mean, obviously one still has to make a living, but if it's much as that that you can sneak in there that that you get the joy from. I mean, that I know I do. You know, that's yeah. that's what matters. Well, so. a cool one, Nick. You you'll appreciate this on the topic. Just to jump back to like uh PVD coded Hoyers. Another one I think that my brother found on on uh, Getty Images was a, a a journalist or something I think in the 80s tracking uh like uh, like links like a bobcat. He was like tracking them through the mountains wearing a Hoyer night diver. And I re- we were able to find him, and and he, I think he actually lost his night diver, tracking oh. like big cats through the woods, and like you know, I don't know, someone's gonna comment and be like, Justin doesn't know, but Serbia, it was somewhere you know, very remote, 
and he was like, and he actually, yeah, he told us a little story, said he bought it to celebrate getting his scuba certification. And uh, so, yeah, it's like you can see him wearing a night diver and it's just so even if it's just like a little anecdote or something like that, uh, it's great to even just get like little snippet stories. And that's one I haven't, you know, really like posted yet. But uh, you may only get, you know, a couple hundred people who like it. But those hundred people are like, this is great, you know. And uh, yeah, like you said, that's kind of why I do it. Already going to hit like, I'm telling you right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought you'd like that one. That's very cool. What about yourself? What about yourself, Nick? What do you have kind of on the go that you're able to Yeah, so. You know, we've already talked about the the watches of espionage stuff. I mean, that that was I I understand he's trying to do a series of them. So there's the the one that that Justin and I did was the the under one thousand dollar. But I I know there'll be different like price mm. points. I think he's trying to do. So you know, I look forward. Hopefully, he he asked me to contribute and Justin obviously to contribute on those. Uh, I would love that. Be, um, sure, it'd be but, nice to be asked too. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll mention something to him then. You know, let's make it happen. Yeah. Uh, but you know, recently uh, I was lucky enough um, to make the acquaintance of Cam Wolf, who is the one of the senior watch editors for GQ, mm. and he uh, he had an interview with Ronnie Chang, one of our good customers, recently. And Ronnie, you know, and for me, when when I work with some of these actors, like we don't, I, I don't publicize anything they buy unless they talk about it first, for the most part, because it's like I got to, you know, discretion plays a large part in in the in the, in the watch dealer industry. Um, and so he basically told a story about how he bought, it was, a um, it was a Seiko Lord Marvel 5748,000. Uh, and it was, um, he gifted it to Kevin Fage, who was like the grand person that, you know, executive producer for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, this guy is like, like very influential when it comes to those circles because he had cast Ronnie and Sang-Chi in the, in, in the Ten Rings. So, you know, that was a nice anecdote he told for that. And I was like, oh, that, that's pretty amazing that, you know, so now I can talk about it because he's he's been talking about it. So, um, but no, I, other than that, like, I, I just stood up a new Instagram account called DCVW underscore four underscore her, because I really, and this is something that I felt strongly about for a long time. I think I've talked about it with both of you. Like, I feel like the, the women's market for vintage and just watches in general is very, unappreciated mm-hmm. like i feel like when you look at vintage especially like you know the the watch i showed up earlier like the 7005 maybe 36 millimeter this was a this is a men's watch when it came out in the 70s anyone this, anyone could wear this might this is probably this might even be too small by male standards these days but so there's like so many more watches that women can pick from of any size so and i i don't know that there's a lot of publicity drawn around that and this is my attempt to kind of do that Mm-hmm. So I, you know, we did a, I did a giveaway with um, this, uh, this local well-respected vintage Porsche dealer in Southern California. Like he threw in a bunch of swag and, you know, I'm offering up a watch, you know, it's, it's kind of big publicity to this, this Instagram account. And we're trying to carry more women's watches. Uh, this drop that we have that's going live tomorrow has two Hoyer diver watches in it, dive watches rather that are both women. One, one is gold and one is uh, all black matte PVD. Um, you know, and they both have like original bracelets, like that kind of stuff. Because I, I feel like there's a there's a niche to be filled here. Like it, it, there needs to be more attention on this. But um, separate from that, uh, the other project that I've been working on, I'm trying to uh, expand into doing like vintage ads because I personally find them really cool. Mm. Um, it, it's it's mostly watches, but you'll find like um, like off road SUVs because obviously I love that uh, thrown in there every now and again. But like yeah, those are the things I'm looking at right now. Both of them are kind of like passion projects. Um, just trying to see what the market will bear in this thing. Is this something that catches on? And 
we'll see. Nice. Lots to look forward to from both of you all. I think that's going to be uh, really something special to both of what you guys have working on. It's, it's, you know, you're always contributing so much to the community and there's always so much knowledge to enjoy and to see and to, uh, to garner from your guys' content as well, too. Uh, just before we kind of close it out here for our discussion, I, I had a couple of uh, community questions that had been sent our way as well, too. I, I know you guys had uh, kind of shared as well, too, with your audiences, uh, giving them an opportunity to ask any questions they might have. So I don't know if you guys have any as well, but um, I will uh, kind of run through some of these and they're sort of, not all of them are super on topic with what we've talked about today, but I'll try and pick the best ones of the group here. We have about five or six. So um, really quickly, and we'll just kind of do this as like a lightning <laughs> round type thing. Uh, who are some of your favorite content creators in the space? So, you know, for you guys that are both creating content and generating, um, you know, really good, enjoyable content that people like to consume, who do you go to for content as well? Well, well, so for me, uh, you know, I mean, not to sort of pander to Nick, but I do think, you know, DC Vintage has a lot to offer and and, and there's a level of, of a lot of like what I do, you know, digging into like, what does this case back mean? Or what is this model? Where does it come from? And I think, you know, when, when you're a dealer, it's, you know, people don't, uh, people think of you as a dealer. So don't think about sort of the editorial side, but there are some really fascinating articles. So I, I would encourage anyone to check those out. Um, on top of that, obviously, I think watches of espionage, uh, not just because I wrote a one paragraph for him, but uh same same <laughs> yeah exactly but but that was my first paragraph for him too you know <laughs> what what yeah what they're doing at watches of espionage is uh first of all they're getting a lot of people that that i have a lot of respect for in the industry like i said they're getting cole they're getting a submersible wrist ben who who is one i would also recommend um cole pennington people i've worked with people who they write the stuff that i'm interested in and uh you're not seeing as much of that stuff in some of the bigger uh, sort of like titans of editorial online now, you know, uh, without naming names. But, you know, so I think you can get that kind of content from from Watches of Espionage. And I like that he's sort of, I talked to Nick about this, he's almost like sort of crowdsourcing. He's getting multiple okay. at people from the industry. Uh, and so, and and I would also say uh, uh, the Grey NATO as a sort of a media side, they've got a really great Slack channel that, that uh, I'm really enjoying. It's also like, if you're into that type of stuff, they're kind of keeping that stuff alive, which I really like. So I, I would recommend any of those. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't tracking on the Slack thing. That's that's not anything that I'm really that active in. Maybe I need to check that out. That's because I, I have a lot of respect for those guys on uh, on the Grenado. So yeah, yeah, you should check it out. Um, for me, like we've already talked a, a bunch of. So for me, I like the more historical, like the more esoteric, weird, the better. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just me. That's I'm the what can I say? I'm a history buff. But it's it's going to be you know our our my counterpart here Justin it's going to be submersible wrist watch of espionage uh, wrist plorer mm -hmm. is another good one um, it's actually a, a customer of mine I've known him for quite some time um, and you know great dude great guy um, so it's it, I always I also have a lot of respect um, for like um, uh, Mike Stockton on Portello uh, he's great I mean he's that man has been dorking on Seiko for, I've read him for decades now. Like he's been writing for them for, I don't even know, at least 10 years. Cause like, I'll do research on something that I haven't done research on for a while. I'll be like, da -da -da -da. I'll be like, Oh, for tele article. I bet Stockton wrote it. Yep. Stockton wrote it. And it's like yeah. 15, 20, you know, whatever. It's like so old. It's amazing. And he's still active. <laughs> in that 
face. It's, it, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I, I was a guest on his podcast once, but it, it was a fun podcast. Like he knows his stuff. Like I was learning stuff. It was amazing. So it's like, it's people that really, aside from the people I just named, it's anyone that's like super enthusiastic about what we do. And that could be like, you know, there's a, there's in Southern California, there's some great uh, watch groups here, like, like uh, OC Chrono and things like that. Um, or like neighborhood watch club, like you just meet with some people there and like, they don't have a platform, but they're like, they live this stuff. They love it. And I, I love those conversations because I'm going to learn stuff. You know, I, I live this too, but yeah, you can't learn everything. It's impossible. There's always going to be something you don't know. So it's always good to have an open mind. And that's, I think why Justin and I do this because we want to find these, these new interesting facts we didn't know. And, and we love the thrill of the history hunt, as it were, like pulling that thread on something and seeing what we can find using the knowledge that we've had from doing this for a while now. Yeah, I think you guys both really hit it on the head. I mean, obviously, we all kind of operate in the same circles when it comes to this kind of stuff. So you, you've named everybody that I was probably going to name as well between the two of you. But I mean, like one that kind of like kind of to further to your point, Nick, specifically is like, it is really cool to kind of get into the the pages of guys that are really uh, enthusiastic about one thing or one topic. Because, you know, when you are around in this space long enough, like, you sort of get exposed to a little bit of everything at a superficial level. And it's really cool when you find someone who takes that deep dive into a topic where you can really start to learn a lot and kind of get into the specialized knowledge of a topic. So for example, like one that came to mind when you were talking was um, Scott from Watch History um, being very into his Marine National watches, right? Like specifically into his Marine National watches and the amount of information he has and resources he has, like going back to some of the old ledgers from the actual watchmakers that were working on these watches and being able to really corroborate a lot of information that way. Um, a great resource and very interesting, very specialized niche corner of the market, but really cool. Cause I mean, everyone at this point has, has heard about a Marine National tutor right but they haven't really gotten to take that deep dive into some of the topics so anyone sort of like that kind of with regards to what you guys were talking to i think they're providing a ton of value um in the space and those are the ones i find the most interesting as well too i think all three of us here have a great uh, appreciation for, uh, for history or uh, interrupt sorry uh the one thing that i that i forgot to mention earlier like justin i don't know if you spent any time in the national archives in dc but man you would have mm -hmm. a field day I, I spent days in there when i was writing my master's thesis there's so much because especially a lot of the stuff that used to be classified once you hit that 50 year <laughs> mark a lot of it becomes declassified and it's there and it's oh, man. Oh, God, man you it's like a kid in a candy store i was just lost in there it's amazing yeah. like in pictures there's everything so hey i mean i mean I, I don't know if uh you would be up for this but at some point you know plan a field trip it will be worth oh it. yeah Trust yeah i'd love to that's wild that's really really cool uh next question so uh, what is your ideal three watch collection operating with a budget of $30,000 just to keep it sensible? <laughs> 30,000 to keep it sensible. Yeah, I know. Great question. <laughs> that's a tough, that's a, that's a hard, I feel like, do you already have an answer, Nick? I don't know that I have one right off the bat. 30,000, man. I, I could, I could do, I could come up with a great three watch collection for 3000, but 30,000 <laughs> it's with, it's within that budget. No one says you have yeah. to spend all of yeah, it. Of I mean, you, could, you could spend, you could spend 10 and then spend the other 20 on a vacation. Right. So, yeah, I mean, my grail right now is, is a Pepsi, a Rolex Pepsi GMT 1675. Mm. That's, that's what I'm looking at. And that's going to take up a good chunk of that money. Mm. So that would, that would be one of them, but I would have to have a Seiko 6139 in there all day, every day. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been, 
passionate about that caliber since high school. Like that would definitely, so that, you know, right there, that that's two. And then it would probably be maybe a Grand Seiko 6186 VFA. Um, those are amazing dress watches and they're difficult to find and not cheap. That would be mine. Great. What about yourself, Justin? Yeah, it's tough. So, so, so I can pretty easily slot in my Seiko 6306. You know, I know what I paid for that. And I, that's one that would basically be in my collection, whether I had 30,000 to spend or not. Um, other than that, you know, I, I like, I like the last of the, uh, the five digit um, sea dwellers. I wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't mind kind of having one of those. Um, and then honestly, I'd probably, I'd probably still just kind of finish it off with the, the Pelagos 39, you know, I'd like keep a Rolex in the mix. I'd have to have a Seiko in the mix, just like Nick. And then, you know, I think, and for more sort of everyday wear, uh, yeah. And I think that's what I would do. Nice. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great combination of, of pieces. There. I think, you know, I've, I've struggled to get myself under like five watches, even four. So, I mean, limiting myself to three would be tough. And then also like, I don't, I don't wear watches that are that, that expensive, but I mean, I would, I, I think you're both on the right track with getting some kind of a Japanese piece, whether it's a 6306 or, or, or any other. I mean, I would, I would gonna, I'm going to be the, the antagonist here, I guess, and say, I'll go for a citizen. I'll get like, uh, I'll maybe I'll get like an, I probably would just have like an Aqualand, like a cheap Aqualand uh, or, or something like that. Um, just to, to yeah, wear. I feel like most citizen is vastly unappreciated. Uh, I think, I think they live in the shadow of Seiko a little bit, especially with some of so much of the interesting history for Seiko. Like the entirety of the Swiss industry does in Rolex. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, I think I'd probably go for something like that. And then I think your recommendation of like a uh, late five digit sea dweller, that would be a hundred percent. I would have to have one of those. And then just to round it out and balance it out, just have something different. I'd probably go with like a, probably a speedy or something like that again, or maybe like an in-between diver, like just get some kind of doxa or something like something, something nice and recognizable, but like not too nice that I could, I wouldn't want to wear it. Like I would want to have like the nice automatic diver that I could still wear to do things. And then yeah. the one that like, I mean, I'm not going to take that five digit C dweller probably anywhere 99% of the time. It's almost too yeah. nice. Right. And then of course you got your, your Seiko or your citizen to boot it up. Right. So you're probably not going to be at 30 grand for me. You're looking maybe closer to like 20. Um, mm -hmm. But I could use that extra 10 grand for something else. I'm sure. So which I'm sure as we all could. So that's a really interesting question and, and interesting responses. So that was a good one as well, too. This is another one. We've all like, you know, we're all watch nerds and we've also all come from kind of interesting, colorful backgrounds and histories as well, too. So this is, this is an interesting question that came up. What are some practical life skills everyone should know, regardless of occupation or hobby? What do you guys think? I mean, uh, Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, like you said, we all have different backgrounds. Uh, my background, this is sort of a public service announcement, um, but you know, I've, I've been a paramedic for something like 15 years now, uh, which, uh, yeah, I started on the ambulance. I mean, I would say like, a, like one skill everyone has to have is sort of, you know, not just basic first aid CPR, I think is like, you know, I, the, the you know, I've spent sort of the past 15 years and as long as I've been doing it sort of saying like, it's such an easy thing to learn. That's like a skill that I think everybody, if everybody knew how to do it, it would be great, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my top, uh, my top skill. I wish everybody, everybody had. Mm -hmm. 
That's interesting. Yeah, that's it's definitely yeah. you, you won't be at a detriment for having that skill set for sure, right? Oh yeah. Yep. What about you? I, I, I echo exactly what he said. Actually, it's interesting when uh when my wife and I when we had our first kid when she was still pregnant we went to a CPR class and there mm-hmm. were no other parents they were all like caregivers. Yep. You know, there was, you know, just like, really? But like, for me, like, you know, as part of State Department, when you do State State Department, uh, depending on your role, sometimes you're doing um, trauma med training. And mm-hmm. it, it, we're not talking anything in depth. You have far more, like, in mine is like from so long ago, it's ridiculous. But I still keep trauma med kits in all my cars. They still have, <laughs> you know, sea tourniquets and mm-hmm. quick clots, all that fun stuff. Um, so I always, for me, I, I grew up, before I moved to D.C. in like middle school, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. And when you live in rural areas, that self-sufficiency thing is very strong because there, for instance, there's no local police department. You got to mm-hmm. call state troopers, state troopers to take a half hour to get mm-hmm. anywhere. You got to do some, you know, a lot of stuff happens in a half hour. So, you know, people have the, a lot of people have like the basic med skills or like mm-hmm. self-defense or anything like that or hunting or, you know, all the, the gamut. So that's, that's always been something that has run in my family. And that's, that's what I have now and i feel like a lot of people a lot of people would be like oh whatever you know before the pandemic would be like you're being a bit of a prepper like but are we now like mm-hmm. we've seen how quickly things kind of went south when the lockdown started and prices went crazy for like masks or toilet paper or whatever so i think yeah. i think those are great points i mean obviously you both stole my point so i'm just gonna sit here now and be like okay but i mean yeah <laughs> Self-sufficiency. Yeah, any and, sort of self-sufficiency. Yeah. Skill. And some medical skills. I mean, those are those are key. Mm-hmm. I was going to specifically refer to, um, yeah, like like uh, a tourniquet application, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so simple to just get one, carry it in a bag, carry it in your cargo short pocket. In my backpack on my mo- when I ride my motorcycle, it's in my backpack. Well, I believe it. You look at like you know, especially like you know, we don't want to get all political or anything, but we look at some of these mass shooting events and things like that that are happening in the States. Or if you go back specifically to like the, um, like the Las Vegas shooting, for example. It's not political if it's happening. It's the political, separate from the politics. It's It's just real. So we prepare for it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. So the, 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 um, like with regards to like the Las Vegas shooting specifically, there are multiple stories that came out specifically of guys that were carrying uh, tourniquets that were there at the concert when it happened and how they were actually able to intervene and save a lot of people that were unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, in, in pretty uh, severe medical distress, distress, having a tourniquet. Um, and, and it's just one of those things that's so simple to just grab and they're cheap. They're simple. You can carry them. They don't go bad. Like you can, you know, this, this is a great thing to have and one of those awesome um, kind of little skill sets to hang on to. And then, you know, furthermore, whether it comes to like, whether it's self-defense or it's, or it's just the ability to like handle a firearm safely and competently, anything like that, I think is going to benefit somebody. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's never going to hurt to be able to, to use those skill sets. I think those are really good, uh, really interesting questions. And I appreciate your guys' input. Um, and yeah, really, really good. The last question that came up, um, sort of an accessory based thing, not so much watch based, but summer's here. What's your favorite brand of sunglasses and why? Hmm. You live in sunny California, Nick. You must be wearing sunglasses from time to time. Yeah, actually. And now I can't even remember the, <laughs> for the longest time it was Ray-Ban, but it wasn't like, it would be like the, but I like the, uh, you remember the glasses that Malcolm X used to wear with like the black frames on the top and stainless steel like underneath like in all the pictures of Malcolm X he's always wearing these sunglasses so like I the, these glasses I actually had those as sunglasses and then 
and then one of the lens broke and I changed them to glasses, but I also had them in sunglasses as well. And they're like the perfect, cause they're smaller. So the perfect size to wear when you have a motorcycle helmet on. Mm. Um, so like those, that I usually, I usually use those, like those kind of Ray-Bans. Oh, the club masters. I don't remember the reference number, but yeah. I think I think it's the club masters is what you're talking about, right? It has like the metal on or like it'll have like the acrylic yeah, it's, on it's top like, and the metal on the bottom. Yeah, it's like black plastic at the top and then it's like stainless yeah. steel. I, I think it's like 88-51 or something is the reference. I can't believe I remember that actually. That's interesting. But yeah. Cool. <laughs> but they nice. yeah, those there's, there's a but they're not I don't like any of the like the super like high speed, low drag, you know, type. Mm. Yeah, the stereotypical ones you you seeing, you know the the knockoffs sold in the gas stations and stuff like that. That's not really my style. I like the more refined classical stuff. Mm, absolutely. What about yourself, Justin? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I have a pair of uh, Randolph Engineering uh, sort of aviator. You know, like uh, I don't think they call them aviators, but you know, I think I think I think that's what Tom Cruise wears in uh, Top Gun. They but you know they were really used I think, in military as well. Like it's a pretty popular. Uh, that and American optics or optical or something like that. They're kind of the same. Uh, and I, I, I had my, my wife bought me some of those uh, a little over a year ago, maybe, and got like a little monogram on it. And uh, yeah. I, re I really enjoy those. I think, I think they're great, great sunglasses. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I didn't, you guys are like sunglasses guys and I didn't even know it. It's just a random question. You have, you have your own brands and your types that you're into. That's super cool. I, yeah. I, I have uh, I have a pair of, of uh, the smaller size club masters as well too that I I like I don't I wear um, in my day to day I usually wear uh, prescription glasses so yeah. I don't um, really switch I don't like to switch back and forth and like I think that I was found like the the like prescription sunglasses to be kind of dorky and like so I just I didn't really I didn't really bother with it at all so. Um, I do have, I have those. And then for work, I also have, um, I wear Oakley's they're cheap. They can beat them up. They take a beating. I got an old pair of gas cans that I've had for a long time, which are like those, like, um, like the ones you see in like end of watch, for example, like the yeah, kind of, yeah, like, yeah. kind of like that kind of like more like those high speed, yeah. low drag kind of wrap around yeah. <laughs> kind of the very, they're very like kind of dated to the area in which they were made. But I kind of, I don't know, pardon me, pardon me. That's getting to be an old man now, now that I'm, now that I'm 30, um, yeah. <laughs> reminiscing and missing I some I was 30. Get out of here, man. You're, you're, you're the wise old wizard of the chat. Man. Um, so we got, so we got that. Beard, man. <laughs> and, and I got a pair of like, um, a pair of uh the they're also oakley's and they're sort of like just like the classic they're kind of like the ray-ban style like the classic kind of like full acrylic ones that they yep. have uh, i can't remember the the model the model name right now but just oakley's version of it they're nice they're not too nice and like the one thing with like you know coming from like a police background like you can leave a 20 dollar bill on a table you can leave a hundred dollars on a table and it'll never go missing but your freaking sunglasses will get stolen as soon as you leave them unattended in a police station so i uh i just get stuff that i don't mind if they go missing or i lose them or anything like that so that. yeah so that's uh that is uh the end of the questions that i had come in so that's uh sort of the end of it there do you guys have anything else you want to get into or talk about um well no i did get a couple questions we can try to do it much more lightning round there's only two no, so it's i'm perfect with this pace go ahead absolutely um okay so the first one was was what's your favorite factory case back design i think like uh you know you know oh well i can start because i know sure uh, not that you guys don't but I, I know some off the top of my head because i got to think on it a little bit um 
so so one that sticks out to me vintage watches in general have like really a lot of them have great case backs uh one of them certina uh any of their turtle their ds2 anything that they had mm. they had uh, a turtle case back that's like phenomenal you know it's like a deep engraving it's really like a, uh it, it's great i would i would encourage people to check that out if they just want an interesting case back mm. uh, and then longines uh i have a vintage example but the legend diver the modern mm. legend diver and the and the old one has a great sort of like spear fisherman motif on the case back that's very cool um especially if you're thinking late late 1950s uh it you know it really looks like a modern piece of work you know uh, so those are two of my favorites that's uh, a great question it's really what about you nick what do you think i i think it would be like a two-part and and it's you know i would answer that question as far as what they have what information they have on the case back that makes me researching it easier and that's always going to be single yeah. page because of the serial number and like all that fun stuff but if you want like the beauty like some of these like and they tend to be french but these no-name 1960s french brands like that were making these sport divers they weren't even like you know what we think of as divers today they're mm -hmm. like 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 the 6106 the new mac v sog if hopefully mm -hmm. it becomes that a sport diver 50 meters or something something you know narrow like or uh, uh, shallow like that but they would have like this awesome like engraving of like this diver like picking like this mm -hmm. and like the water and like the snorkel or sometimes with diving gear like this just awesome like i don't see too much from that era where people really taking liberties with the case back and when i find that i love it like i don't even care if i've never heard of the brand it shows thought and i like that that's, that's very interesting i'm, I'm gonna be i'm gonna kind of go with uh, the non-vintage option i liked your suggestion about certina quite a bit justin as well yeah. um is uh, a little i don't have one in the collection anymore but i've had a couple of them over the last year or so um ocean crawler watches mm -hmm. if you go and look at them they have these insane case backs and it's like a really really deep relief carving and it's, <laughs> and it's like a poseidon or neptune basically fighting a kraken with a with a trident and there's waves awesome. but like the detail in it is so insane and it's so oh, cool it's, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. really really cool so it's just, it's just i remember like as soon as i saw that uh, it's like one of the coolest case backs that's okay. currently out there because it's just it's like you literally have like a sculpture on the back of your watch to enjoy, which I thought was really really neat. So that was a good that was a good question. It's a really interesting question. Yeah, the the so the second one and the, the last one I got, which is probably going to be like a mostly Nick question because it's Seiko specific. But um, someone asked me, so why did Seiko abandon for the most part their model naming for alphanumerics? Um, if I'm understanding the question correctly, I think they're probably talking just in general about you know, like actual model names, um, Alpinist, things like that, which of course they still have the Alpinist, but, uh, what, and to tie it into the first question, which about the factory case back, I don't know why Seiko, Seiko stopped with, with uh, actual names of models, but I will sort of just answer it my own way, which is not really answering their question at all, but my one of my favorite Seiko model names and tying it into the first one, case backs, is the Seiko flying finish. Uh, which yeah. I'm sure Nick is familiar with is a great case back because it's just, it's a goofy like flying fish on the case back yeah. and they're actually a pretty good looking watch, but it's also just a great name back in that era. It, lots of watch brands were just taking, they were making just like great names for models. Uh, so that's my shout out to the flying fish. No, mm. I, I, a lot of the, uh, the silver waves from that era. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking up, and of course, I look. It's the J12082, and of course, I look it up, and the first thing I see is an article by Mike Stockton on Fratello. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they, they, there's like these, they're like all sorts. Like some of them will have dolphins, like on the case mm -hmm. back. Like 
uh, the Silver Wave itself, I'm like, because I'm, I'm like, yeah, it had, I mean, it actually, the Silver Wave that I just mentioned was the first time that Seiko used that, the the tsunami, the wave of, mm -hmm. I the name of that wave, but that famous Japanese tsunami wave that, like, you know, and then they incorporated as part of their legend of Seiko, which is unlike everything. Um, but anyway, um, what was the first part of that question again? I apologize. Why Seiko abandoned name their oh, naming right. for alphanumerics. I honestly don't know, but I know I, I personally don't care for it. I love the just the numbers. It's short, it's simple. It's like, especially when I'm like doing research on something, I'm like, oh geez. So it's like I get people that reach out, we get people that reach out to us all the time wanting to sell us watches. And mm -hmm. like anytime I see it and I don't recognize it's alphanumeric, I'm like, it's probably too new for me to carry. Not to be mean, but too too new for us to carry. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's not vintage. It's not even. It's I want to say it happened in the late nineties. I could be wrong, or was it the early mm -hmm. odds? I don't know. But it's I haven't cared to look into it because I know it's too new for us. I will eventually as time continues to march on. Right. And I actually have one more question that just came in while we were chatting, and I wanted to run it past both you guys as well too, and then I think we'll wrap it up here at this point. But it says. Uh, Looking to get into a vintage Seiko, vintage, should I go vintage 6306 6309 or neo vintage SKX 007 for the potential future value? I mean, it's going to depend on budget. I mean, because <laughs> those, those are radically different budgets for all three of those. I mean, SKX is, is going to be, you know, if you're talking like a full set or you're talking just the watch, no bracelet, maybe 500. Um, it's going to be more than that. I mean, we're talking about one that's in good condition, hopefully recently serviced, et cetera. Um, but if you're, you know, and then you're looking at double that for a good, I mean, it's crazy. The 639 prices have really hit their stride recently in the last mm -hmm. year. They've really gone up. Um, we had one recently sell for 1100 and I thought that would sit for a while and it sold immediately. I was really surprised by that. Um, but yeah, so and then 6306 is going to be the top end of that. So out of all of them, if I had to choose... It would probably be the 6306. I suspect Justin might say the same, but I defer to you. Yeah. So, so I mean, honestly, I would I would probably say 6309. So I would really own, I only own a 6306 because of the 6306 that I own. You know, like mine's mine's a unique model. But if I were just saying like, hey, I just want like a Seiko turtle, like an original vintage Seiko turtle, um, I probably would have gotten a 6309 just because. Uh, the the differences between the three sixty three oh nine and sixty three oh six to me uh, yeah. don't make a huge difference when like Nick said the price will be different. Um, but I would definitely there's not a lot of difference. It's the movement's better, but mm -hmm. it's like again, it's still a, a great watch. Either one of those. So no, oh, I, yeah. I I I see what you're saying there. I, I that that makes total sense. Yeah, but you what got to go turn. Just talk to Nick. He'll 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 get you either one. You know. So <laughs> agreed, agreed. If if you are looking yeah. for either one or settle on yep. either one, Nick is the guy to talk to, right? What is your <laughs> what is your perspective quickly, uh, Nick, on I guess like the um quality between the two, obviously being generationally apart, the six three oh oh nine movement versus the seven S two six. Like where do you see a lot of oh, right. like, differences between the um, I, I think the six three oh nine is a better movement. I mean, when mm -hmm. you got and, and I understand why Seiko did this, but as time I mean they did this throughout their history, but particularly the difference between the 6309 and, and the SKX is they started using slightly cheaper parts. Um, I, again, you're mass producing something. Your SKX is being made with 
more advanced robots. They're bringing down, they're looking at when you're doing these things with economies of scale, any, even if you shave off a couple cents and what it costs to make a watch, that makes a massive difference. And, and that's what they did. So you're going to, the SKX is, it is still, I hate to use the cliche term, a bulletproof movement, but it still pretty much is. It's not terribly accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just not like six, you're going to get better accuracy from a 6309. Granted, if you're after accuracy, you're probably not going to buy a mechanical watch anyway, are you? You're going to you're going to go down to Walmart and buy a twenty dollar Casio. But I digress. Don't what do a, that. Buy- well, uh, what about like the comparison, in your opinion, then between like going getting like a six three zero nine and then the modern equivalent, the SRP, what triple seven or whatever it is now with the four R four R thirty five or four R fifteen or whatever it is that they has in it right now. I mean the the four R thirty. And, and I, I have to caveat that I don't know terribly much about the very, well, it's not very new, but the newer mm-hmm. Seiko models. Because again, I, I don't need to know about them really. I just know that they're, I look at them initially and I, I the the 4R36, which is in the successor to the SKX, that Seiko 5 model, um, gets a lot of flack for being not accurate. Um, our watchmakers and other watchmakers that I'm friends with all complain about it pretty much universally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not fans of it. Um, I, I'm trying to remember why they said this, but they just the accuracy is not great. I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, we're we're dealing with Seiko, and it's not going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and then you also get into the whole like, and this is this is a popular thing. Like, if you look at, and I know everyone here follows Brodinky, mm-hmm. but oh, yeah. you know, they're always talking about like things not lining up between the the chapter ring and the and the bezel and all that fun stuff. You didn't have that problem in six three zero nine. Just throwing it out there. So the quality control was better. So mm-hmm. I, again. None of them are garbage. It's just one is better than the other, in my opinion. Anyway. It's interesting, interesting perspective. And just like that, ladies and gentlemen, the sale value of six three zero nine has gone through the roof. So, so esoteric. I know <laughs> that's interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, guys, I think it's been so much fun chatting. It was uh, great getting your perspectives on these things and kind of being able to uh, collectively enjoy your knowledge as it were all in one place i i I anticipate the audience uh, is also really enjoying it and will enjoy this episode when it does come out um really quickly uh justin if you want to go first just kind of plug your socials or people can engage with your content and then uh nick after yeah yeah so if you want to see some cool uh old watch photos the underscore restorian uh, on instagram you can check me out there i do have a blog as well the restorian.com uh not updated as frequently as i probably would like but there's a little bit of a backlog on there so if you want to read some of those articles feel free right on absolutely and yourself nick uh yeah so we have a bunch of instagram accounts <laughs> so i'm not going to sit here and repeat them ad nauseum uh instagram takes down accounts randomly from time to time so it's always good to have backups Justin just saying, uh, but it's uh, uh, DC Vintage Watches. Uh, that's the main Instagram account, and then as I said earlier, the new one, the DCVW underscore F O R underscore her H E R, and uh, our website is www.dcvintagewatches.com. Nice. I'll be sure I drop the links for for everything uh, in the description boxes below, so people can check out both your guys' content. Uh, likewise for myself, if anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, feel free to shoot me an email at ricoswatchespodcast at gmail.com. Additionally, if you want to uh, check out the episode sort of at Central Hub for information uh, on Instagram at ricoswatchespodcast, all one word, shoot me a DM, DM there. I usually I get back to people pretty quickly. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode in an audio medium, would like to enjoy it in a video medium or many of my other episodes in a video medium, head over to ricoswatchespodcast.com 
YouTube channel. Like once again, just Rico's watch this podcast over there. Like, subscribe, hit the bell icon, leave a comment, all that YouTube stuff because it helps with the algorithm so it can reach more people and we can continue to grow our audience and bring more cool people to the podcast. Justin, Nick, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you guys. It is an honor to have you both on the show again. I appreciate you giving up your time and uh, coming here to nerd out and uh, talk about watches with me. Yeah, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having us, man. Cheers. You guys both have a wonderful evening.